Hi there, I'm Al. Welcome back to the Lore Research Lab. And if you're new here, welcome to the Lore Research Lab, where I ramble about Nintendo video games. This is the 97th log and the 27th discussion, looking at The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Today's thesis. What is there to say about the music from this game? It's time to deep dive, folks. Okay, so I apologize for uh, the. I've I've been uh, I, f I find there's certain times where I just go on this like mini hiatus type of thing, and I definitely planned to um, have this episode up sooner, but there were some complications in my schedule that did not allow for it. So here we are today, folks. Um, uh, the in the time that's transpired between this episode and the last one we've had that nintendo direct with the pikmin 4 game we've had some great new mario content coming up um super mario wonder for example the remake of super mario rpg which that came before uh, Super Mario 64 for those that are familiar i believe if i'm getting my timeline stuff right so um, but that looks like a lot of fun as well. I'm really excited for Super Mario Wonder, and they've teased at what looks like a Peach-focused game. So, like, Peach is our protagonist, and I'm always hyped for that, because uh, just as a, before we get into the bulk of this episode, um, the uh, idea of Peach being the... Um, protagonist I love because they've done a game in the past called Super Princess Peach. I forget who the developers were for that um, or like who else worked on that game but Super Princess Peach was a lot of fun and she she can be fun and you know in that game Mario gets captured and she's the one saving so like she's the one saving the day so I'm like I like that and whatever way they spin that this time around well I'm sure it'll be great and yeah and also what's really exciting about Super Mario Wonder um, I, I, that is the title, I believe. If I get that wrong, that'll be very embarrassing. But, um, Daisy is gonna be a character in it, and you never see Daisy in, in anything. So, other than, like, the, the side games, like Mario Kart, um, and even Brawl. She's in Brawl, but she hasn't, she hasn't ever really been in, like, a main series, um, Mario games. So there's some really exciting stuff that's coming up for Nintendo. We bought some more Pokemon Scarlet Violet DLC reveals and things like that, but I probably will do some more deep diving once we get a bit more material on that stuff because there's still not as much to analyze right now. So with all that like kind of housekeeping out of the way, um, uh, it's about time we start talking about uh, Tears of the Kingdom's music. Um, so please listen to um, the Lore Research Lab reference episodes if you need any background on anything, um, because nothing will really make sense here, I guess. It will be helpful to have some Breath of the Wild context, so I know that there's an episode way back in Season 1 where I talk about the music from Breath of the Wild, and I think that is worth listening to. Um, if you do want to get a, a bit of a sense of where I'm coming from with my opinions, because I'm gonna get, I'm gonna bring up Breath of the Wild quite a bit in this episode, um, for reasons that I will soon explain. So, before I can even talk about the music, though, is I I always like to acknowledge the composers of a video game since they help, you know, arrange the experience. Like in the sense that, uh, at least for me, completely subjective take. Um, Video games feel more immersive, fun, because of the music. The music helps to bring everything together. Um, 
and that makes that experience memorable so you'll hear that music and then you will think of that of of, of your experience playing that game kind of thing and i'm a huge like video game music aficionado in the sense that i just love video game music so it's always fun for me to analyze and i like talking about the people behind the works so it's time to get into some names so the um uh, composers that have been listed for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom are uh, Manaka Kataoka, Masa Miyoshi, Masato Ohashi, and Tsukasa Usui. So um, Hajime Wakai, who's not listed in those names, um, and who worked on Breath of the Wild score, he's come back as like the sound director or supervisor for the composition of the music for Tears of the Kingdom, so I don't think he's listed but like he's definitely still contributed to the um the score of tears of the kingdom manaka kataoka worked on breath of the wild music so um uh that's a returning face you could say um but then we have um two composers so we have masa miyoshi and uh, masato ohashi um who worked on other nintendo titles such as luigi's mansion in um uh, Masa Miyoshi's case, and then Animal Crossing New Horizons in the case of Masato Ohashi. I'm like, that's quite a tone shift from Animal Crossing to Tears of the Kingdom, but interesting. And then Tsukasa Usui uh, is, I suppose, is new for the composing team because I've listed their personal descriptions in the description, like like all the stuff will be linked. Um, as well as all the music that I'll be talking about. I'll get to that in a bit as well. Um, everything will be linked in the description. So I guess what I appreciate about the composers is that Hajime Wakai and Manaka Kataoka, in my opinion, did a great job with um, Breath of the Wild's score. So that set a bit of a high bar for me because I really liked Breath of the Wild's music. So I was like, I, I wonder how they're going to top that too. Like, Prior to Tears of the Kingdom coming out, there were so many things I was thinking about in terms of um, how were they going to improve on what Breath of the Wild gave us? Because there's a lot of stuff that works about Breath of the Wild. I've done my own kind of dissections of maybe where, um, especially when it came to the storytelling, like maybe where I felt some gaps, but they're not so major that it detracts from anyone's overall enjoyment of such an amazing game. So, uh, again, this was one of those aspects where I'm like, how how is Tears of the Kingdom going to take it a step further from what Breath of the Wild has already done? Because Breath of the Wild did quite a bit um, when it came out. Um, but what I really appreciate about Tears of the Kingdom score is that while it does feel fresh, it still feels actually familiar. So um, I think it helps that you do have some returning composers in the sense that it leads to this kind of cohesion of sound, you know? Um, the music from Breath of the Wild carrying over into Tears of the Kingdom, it feels like a natural transition. And then the new tracks that we get um, showcase an evolved form of this version of Hyrule. It shows an, evol an, an evolution in uh, what's changed, you know, because this is Tears of the Kingdom is like a, pre a pure sequel to Breath of the Wild, there's no questioning it. Um, but the music is also a part of that transition. It's it it showcases how things have changed, um, and what has kind of stayed the same, which is nice because um, there are certain uh, locations in Tears of the Kingdom that have remained the same um, from Breath of the Wild. So you go there and it feels familiar, or maybe certain overworld themes are the same. So then. Um, 
you listen to that music and you're like, it's kind of what you've been used to if you've played Breath of the Wild. Um, but I guess the other great aspect as well is that the new tracks that they have introduced um, have made this game feel even bigger than Breath of the Wild ever could have. Um, so uh, there's a mix of new and nostalgia with the themes that you hear in Tears of the Kingdom in a really nice and fresh way. This It feels very big, actually, when it comes to a lot of these... Uh, a lot of the tracks that come from Tears of the Kingdom. There's a lot of, there's a, a larger than life feel to it that is a, actually a contrast to Breath of the Wild's score. Um, so again, while it's very much a sequel, there are clearly some things being done differently in Tears of the Kingdom's uh, score, uh, which I appreciate. Um, so I I just think the sound design and as well as the, the score, the music of Tears of the Kingdom, it's just, it's, I don't know if fun's the right descriptor, but I do know that it's extremely enjoyable and I have had an amazing time just experiencing this music. Um, so uh, I guess with that little preamble out of the way, I'm going to analyze um, some selected tracks I've picked out where I'll play some snippets of it. So it's like we're having a little listening party. Um, I'm going to just kind of discuss slash dissect some of these tracks that I've picked out where I want to provide examples in the game of where you kind of get this sense of immersion, how you can feel that this game is a sequel, um, and it's mostly going to be focused on new music, so I'm not really going to look at um, things that are slight remixes of pre-existing themes um, and such. I'm trying to focus on the new things that have come with this game. Um, and these tracks are meant to be exemplary of uh, how the how Tears of the Kingdom immerses you in its kind of story and its environment, um, getting you focused in the gameplay and stuff. And yeah, so it's going to be, I, I may not explicitly discuss those points, but it will play into that. That's just the umbrella. And then I'm just going to say words. So um, it's all completely subjective, by the way, you can disagree. So without further ado, let's get into it. Really quick disclaimer. Um, if you don't want to get spoiled on these tracks, like you don't want to listen to this yourself for me, uh, I suggest like play through the game, experience it on your own. That's fair enough. That's what I want to do. Um, I will list in the description, the playlist for the tracks from this game, but, uh, like a compilation of, of, of tracks that come from this game. Um, and I'll say in that playlist, like in the description where you get, maybe get to spoiler music. So. Uh, just be warned, um, and we're just gonna have some fun listening to the tracks from this game. So, uh, let's see. We're gonna start off very strong with um, the music you hear in the very beginning of the game, the prologue music. Like, this just... What a way to open a game. Like, this is this is what you're hearing. Is that like not the most ominous thing ever? Because this is the prologue music beneath Hyrule Castle. And this like choral echo singing that you hear that has this kind of synthesized feeling to it paired with that gong and that kind of boom you feel like it's just so unsettling and 
perfect in setting the tone for the environment you're entering, which is this secret subterranean temple-like structure beneath a larger castle where there are murals, there are statues. It's like you're entering an unknown world in a way, and you don't know where you're going, but you can sense that it's dangerous. There's, there's something to be feared wherever you're heading. My piano's not helping. Piano, when used correctly and used right, which I find is often the case with things like Zelda games, um, it it's perfect in creating that kind of tense atmosphere. It's perfect for setting this kind of tone. So I thought, again, this is a great opener because this greatly contrasts how Breath of the Wild opens up. Breath of the Wild is like, a breath of fresh air, like you leave a cave, this kind of cold enclosure, and you exit it. But this game is actually the complete opposite, and that's what I love about the contrast, where Breath of the Wild begins with a melody like doo -doo 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 -doo, that kind of thing, where there's flute, it's in a major key, it sounds like even though you may not know what's happening around you, there's certainly a world out there for you to explore, which seems to suggest there's a positive connotation to the opening of Breath of the Wild, whereas this feels claustrophobic. It feels almost suffocating. And it almost sounds like it's telling you to leave. Like, the music itself is not saying that. But you can imagine that the environment you're in is the opposite of inviting. You are walking into an extremely dangerous area. You're basically doing the opposite of what you do in Breath of the Wild, which again is a great contrast and then also a wonderful setup for how this game even kicks off, which eventually leads to Zelda and Link finding mummified Ganondorf, um, reawakening, sending Zelda further into the depths of the earth, but she's cast away somewhere by some mysterious power she becomes a glowing ball of light and disappears and something similar happens to link where he's transported to a completely different and separate location so um but this this is a great opener for some music so that's the prologue music then next we have the lookout landing music so just as a bit of context um this version of hyrule is very full in the sense that compared to Breath of the Wild's emptiness. This this version of Hyrule feels much more alive and also united. Link and Zelda are not the only ones trying to resolve any issues going around in Hyrule. They're trying to rebuild from the great calamity that occurred in Breath of the Wild's story. So that recovery process, the fact that people know that Link and Zelda are back type of thing, because for a hundred years their names were just discarded to myth, basically. They're back now, and all their friends that are still around, and all of Link's new friends that he acquired in Breath of the Wild, everyone's back. The whole gang's here type of feeling. Um, but what happens um, is that prologue music with that uh, confrontation with mummified Ganondorf leads to an event called the Upheaval, and then that leads to several uh, demonic phenomena uh, encompassing areas of Hyrule, creating problems uh, for certain uh, areas, such as major city points, um, you get the chasms that lead to the depths, the lower the lower earth of um, 
Hyrule. It's basically like a, like this kind of alien world type of thing. Um, and then you also have the sky, of course, as the surface is the one with all the chasms type of thing. So you have your floating islands, you have these chasms opened up in the earth, you have the depths, which are complete darkness and you need to find several light routes to and by several I mean 120 you need to find light routes to light up the entire underground otherwise you generally can't see anything so the upheaval was this kind of major marking event for not only the people of Hyrule but for you as the player because it's the inciting incident of basically anything else that happens afterwards so this music though this is the music for lookout landing an outpost that's not far from Hyrule Castle. Um, so it's not far from the point of origin. So you're kind of like teetering on the edge of like disorder and peace, if you will. Like this place is like right near Hyrule Castle where a massive chasm is opened up underneath it because of mummified Ganondorf. But then you have this kind of nice comforting music with this piano, these lively drum beats. And we're gonna get some flute in a bit. Like, it's just... And these horns. So basically, this music is semi-representative of all the races of, of Hyrule. Um, all the different cultural groups. And... I don't know, I just really like it. And I'm gonna be completely honest, is that the majority of the tracks that I'll be analyzing today are not the most positive sounding. I don't know how it ended up working out that way, but I just found that the tracks that I really wanted to analyze in terms of uh, what Tears of the Kingdom offers are the more you could see negative sounding tracks because they're just so good. Like, I can't not talk about it kind of thing, you know? So, um... But Lookout Landing is really nice because listening to this, it generally does feel like this kind of outpost of civilization. Like, it, it sounds like if people are collected here, like, this is what it would sound like. You know, people try to gather together, working, um, to, like, working together in this united front against the evil that's, again, trying to corrupt Hyrule. Like, this place can't catch a break. And these people certainly can't like it's just a tough time for hyruleans you know anyone who lives there but again i really like uh lookout landing and then the next track we'll be looking at or listening to rather is the sky islands music so the I, this is going to be a, a good contrast actually because the surface has a lot of the same tracks you get from breath of the wild in terms of the overworld music so um, and then there will be um, major differences for other tracks that I'll be discussing. Um, but you have the you have the sky, the surface, and then the depths, right? So the sky, this is the sky islands music when you're in low gravity. This is an important distinction because there's, I think, three different versions, this being one of the three, uh, where you have the normal sky islands music, then you have... Um, uh, low gravity and then there's one other one and i'm blanking on it right now but basically i picked the low gravity one because it's got a really nice melody i think it's piano sounds like you're floating yeah with this paired with this flute it just sounds very peaceful and when you do get into the sky islands like in the areas where there is low gravity. I don't know why, I just, I, I like it, I enjoy it. And because Link's 
almost like an astronaut on the moon where he's like kind of taking all these high jumps and it's slow and he's almost kind of bouncing his way through the air it's just it's weirdly satisfying to do i will say trying to climb up something in low gravity is hard <laughs> and kind of annoying but the jumping is fun so i have a very positive experience when i hear this music um but overall i feel like it really This music to me sounds like uh, it really encompasses this idea of the sky feeling very open and free and also feeling like it's a break from the tension that you feel on the surface and in the depths. So basically everything feels very stressful on the ground um, and to be on the ground is to be stressed, to be completely honest. That's where you find probably the most difficult things to deal with. And it's not that the sky is free of problems either. And some of the main story stuff um, demands that you go to the sky specifically because there's problems starting from there. The point of origin for certain issues in Hyrule actually are in the sky, so you, you need to go upwards. But weirdly enough the sky for me in tears of the kingdom overall has felt a bit like i said a break from the stress that you experience on the surface and in the depths because this feels very upward um there's a lookout landing is one example but basically the sheikah towers from breath of the wild have been replaced by different kinds of towers that actually catapult you up into the sky and there's certain music that plays when you go up into the sky um and that also sounds like it's the kind of music you would expect to hear when you're going upward into the sky type of feeling um so it's well it's well composed in that sense um and then this is the music you hear when you arrive in the sky and this is or rather one version of what you hear when you arrive in the sky so again it just feels very freeing open um peaceful soothing it's a lot of things at once and now we're gonna switch up the tone because there really are not many positive sounding tracks after this this is the music of the depths folks <laughs> great contrast right yeah no like this feels like you've plunged into the earth you know like you're deep underground somewhere no one knows where the heck you are if you're lost that's your problem that's what this music is telling you but in a very like kind of subtle way like you're in danger but like you know you just have to sit with it you have to kind of stew with that knowledge that oh great it's dark i don't have a flashlight something could attack me at any point it's it's this worrying like that you hear in the background of the theme and how the, the music is interspersed like it's not continuous right with the sky islands music it's a continuous flow right with this, it pauses, it goes in and out. It's like something's about to jump scare you or attack you, like it is right now. It's like, it's, there's, a, there's this like quiet build up, there's, you don't really hear it. It's kind of drawn out and you're like, when's, when's the music gonna kick in? And it's oftentimes when you're not ready for it, expecting it, even this thumping that you hear. Um, I remember when I heard, like, this, for example. I think it's coming up. We have to hear it. We're gonna hear it soon. Okay, it's not coming, but the... Or I think it is coming, actually. But when this does shift in kind of sound and tone, 
Like it's it you can you can you can tell it's it's the keys are getting higher. But it just sounds so unpredictable. And when when you're deep underground and this is what you're hearing, like I don't know, it's just not it's not peaceful. This is not soothing. This is um stress inducing in my opinion and if you are listening to this in like complete darkness i can't think of anything scarier like this does not need to be super shrill and high like like fast paced or something to be scary what this game excels at for its more unsettling tracks is that not all of them have a you know a fast tempo to it a lot of it actually tends to be quite drawn out and um for me not knowing when something's gonna happen that's how you really instill fear so i think this is good overworld music for the underworld <laughs> pun intended okay moving on to another depth centered track so this is the music you hear at the abandoned mine abandoned mines is actually it's actually not a single a singular abandoned mine there's several actually located in the depths and the nice thing is that the abandoned mines correspond to a city on the surface so they're actually technically not too hard to locate the problem is getting to them um for certain abandoned mines they are much larger than others which suggests more um kind of civilization you know uh, material slash cultural production was occurring in different parts of Hyrule. Like, I have some ideas about the depths, and I don't want to get into theories here. But basically, you listen to the depths, and then you listen to this when you find an abandoned mine. So it is a shift in tone a little bit. There's some respite from the constant stress that you get um, just generally in the depths. The fear of the unknown is what the depths succeeds at. Everything is complete darkness. You don't know where it is. When you find an abandoned mine, there's usually some sense of light, you know? Um, so it is a break from the stress around you, but it also gives this kind of, it evokes a sense of um, fleeting peace where this sounds kind of temporary, you know? Like you're getting a bit of a break, but as soon as you leave the mine, you're going right back into that extremely stressful environment. So uh that was one i just wanted to play for a little bit and we're gonna get into something negative sounding the koroks man when you find the great like when you go to korok forest or the great hyrule forest whatever you want to call it the lost woods um so sorry when you get to korok forest this is what you hear because of course ganondorf wants everyone to be sad and depressed and the koroks become that because the great Deku tree has been kind of poisoned with gloom. Um, there's gloom everywhere in general. So it's like the forest is infected. It's like the forest is sick. And this is the music you hear once you enter that what was once a safe space. Like the Kor Korok forest represents lots of things for me personally, because while Breath of the Wild didn't harp on it quite as much because it doesn't really it didn't really push for the lore stuff as much as this game is actually but in breath of the wild that's where zelda puts the master sword back after having 
her remaining retainers take Link to the Shrine of Resurrection to heal his wounds, she returns the Master Sword to Korok Forest in its pedestal so the sword can be healed again, and when Link is strong enough to wield it once more, he will wield it and he will use it against Calamity Ganon type of thing. That's what's implied. The game would like you to do that, but it doesn't it doesn't, it's not mandatory. You don't have to get the Master Sword. But for me, I always get the Master Sword, because why wouldn't you? The Master Sword's amazing, and that weapon never breaks. Like, come on. Um, it never breaks permanently, at least. Um, so the thing with Korok Forest being infected, this music, it's a, it's a slowed down, done in a minor key version of the normal music you hear in Korok Forest. Especially these, this like kind of bells that's extremely slowed down. It's, it's just so, it's heartbreaking actually. So while this isn't maybe as stress inducing as something like the depths or abandoned mine music, or actually abandoned mine isn't stressful, but I think you get what I mean. Even if it's not on those, not even if it's not in that kind of genre of negative sounding tracks, this is just sad. Like it's, I, I know when I heard this for the first time, I just knew immediately that I'm like, I need to help these guys. Like, I can't, I can't stand to let the forest continue on like this. And the fact that I let it continue on for this long since starting the game, shame on me. Shame on me for letting these Koroks suffer this way. Like, okay, I, it's a more dramatic re retelling, but I think, I think you get the point. Let's move on to something that's equally heartbreaking. So, as some brief context... We'll let you we'll let you hear that boom, and now we'll get to the context part. So basically, some major cities in Hyrule have been affected by the upheaval adversely, as is the case with lots of other places in Hyrule. But there are four major locations that are experiencing it quite badly, and each with their own varying issue, whether it be um lack of action from the citizens of that area or some kind of external force that's keeping the people at bay and preventing them from addressing this or receiving help of some kind. And of course, Link's the one who's going to be the person to help. So until Link arrives, nothing can be done. But it also still stands that the people in these four major cities are either helpless or something is restraining them from getting what needs to be done done. So we're starting off strong with Frozen Rito Village. So basically, um, Rito Village is located in the northwestern part of Hyrule, where it's it's very snowed in. It's like, but there's anthropomorphic bird people that live in this village, and they're used to the cold, they're suited to it, and they fly through the skies quite peacefully. But their village is not meant to be covered in snow. What's happened above Rito Village is a humongous blizzard has swarmed the area, preventing them from flying, which is, like, kind of their thing. Like... It's just so sad. Like, no. That- that boom that you hear, it's like a thump. It's a sad flute. It's a sad flute. Like, ugh. This is very simi- uh, si simi? <laughs> s si similar words. Similar to the- the 
feeling that uh the gloomy Korok forest theme gives off where it's it's so sad and kind of heartbreaking to listen to it's like what's happened here how can I solve this problem and you just kind of see how dire things are because there's barely anyone in the in the village because it's not really livable um it's like covered in snow but that's not suited to what the retro are used to um and no one knows how to deal with this blizzard because the source of the blizzard is completely unclear and no Rito can fly up high enough into the sky to actually kind of figure out what's happening. So um, the way that the story ends up working out is that there's actually a, a song that's been passed down um, in Rito tradition. It's been kind of noted as like just a children's song. It's just a kind of like you know, a myth type of thing. But actually that song spells out what exactly is the root of the problem, which is related to something called the Stormwind Arc. Um, so basically uh, what Ganondorf has done um, is that he's created this huge blizzard. There's something that is terrorizing the sky, high, high, high up in the sky. And the Stormwind Arc is kind of the point of origin for getting rid of the blizzard type of thing you need to go there and figure out what's going on and then once you resolve whatever's happening at the Stormwind dark then things will be better for rito village but um yeah until then this is what we're left with you know it's like and the other thing is is that um the the bridge that normally people frequent to enter rito village is broken off. So basically anyone who isn't a Rito can't get to Rito Village. Like that's also the other thing. So yeah, it just it feels very lonely. It sounds cold to be honest. So I think this is a wonderful, wonderfully heartbreaking track. This was done really well. On um, the next as a quick kind of analysis. So this is the music you hear as Link and the son of the chief, Tulin. This is the music you hear as you go uh, as you travel several floating islands and floating structures, you go higher and higher up into the sky. This is the music you hear. It's called the Wind Temple Approach. So the Stormwind Arc is the Wind Temple. They are one and the same. Um, the temples is a giant ship. Isn't that great? That floats around in the sky. But I just wanted to quickly draw attention to this music. I'd like the, the way that the strings just go completely nuts and then that piano like all of it just works so perfectly i think it does a great job in uh setting the tone um and then this is what you hear when you're skydiving pay attention to the flute folks just pay attention that flute right there so I love this music because it just, it feels so grand and um, uh, like you, you, fe you feel like you're in the sky and it also still evokes that sense of feeling like you're in a cold too. So this is this blizzard that's just high up in the sky. No one can see you, no one can hear you. Like is, if, if it isn't already terrifying. Um, but I just love this like skydive music. It really also helps to kind of set the atmosphere of how cold things are up there, how kind of lonely or maybe isolating it feels. But then there's a weird contrast because it's also extremely open because you're in the sky on a floating ship type of thing. 
But that brings me to probably my favorite boss music from this game. That flute, I told you to pay attention for it, because we're gonna hear it again in a sec. This is the music you hear when you fight the mighty Kolgara. It's a fight that's done entirely in the sky. Aerial combat, folks. But we're gonna listen for a second here. It's that flute. I can't... I can't get over how cool this sounds. This also sounds so grand and so fitting for like a Rito related fight because basically the really cool thing that was done in Breath of the Wild and carried over into Tears of the Kingdom is that the music of Hyrule varies depending on geography. So there are certain instruments that you hear a lot more depending on where you go. For example, there's lots of woodwind and strings used uh, woodwing, uh, woodwing, <laughs> woodwing, birds, burrito, it all comes out of, anyways, uh, woodwind instruments and strings I find are more, um, thematic of, like, the Rito and the colder areas of Hyrule in general, so you, you, it, the composition, like, is pretty, again, like, co cohesive all across, but there's certain instruments I find you hear a little bit more of when it comes to certain areas of Hyrule, so what this boss is really cool at establishing is first of all, this is that's the part of that melody you hear in the skydive music. And then secondly, this feels very connected to the Rito cause. Like they're trying to stop something that's flying in the air. When you find out that the big the big baddie that's causing this blizzard and that's is at the center of the problem, it's this giant insect like it's almost like a giant ice centipede that can fly. That's like my nightmare come true. Thank God it's not real. So um, to know that that's what, what's kind of terrorizing the sky and that's what's creating this blizzard and terrorizing the Rito, it's like, you hear this? It's just the epitome of epic. And you hear that cor that choral singing in the background too. That's also worth noting. So there you go. Um, but I love the Colgara battle music. I don't really like the boss um, in the sense that I don't like its design. The, f the fight itself, I actually quite enjoy. I, I actually have a lot of fun fighting Colgara. I really like it. Um, but yeah, so that's the Rito problem. Now let's go over to the Zora with Sludge Covered Zora's Domain. Man, this makes me feel sad. Maybe not quite as heartbreaking as uh, Frozen Rito Village, but this is done in, like, it's the same music for Zora's Domain when it's normal and fine, but they switch around the, the notes to make it sound negative, and I think it's done wonderfully. Because basically what's happened to Zora's Domain, which is kind of... It's, it's the, this is where anthropomorphic fish people, the Zora live, and they're, they're, like, waters their whole thing. So to see Zora's domain covered in, like, sludge and gunk and mud and stuff like that is so disheartening to see. Um, and what I kind of like about, um, 
the way that the upheaval has affected the four major cities you have to visit and then resolve the problems of is the way that it kind of represents how polluting the upheaval is and how polluting evil is. I really like how that's done because there's a direct correlation between um, the blizzard, extreme snow, um, and the, you know, Colgera, for example. So one of the, one of Ganondorf's, you know, evil creations is causing a blizzard. So an extreme weather phenomena that people cannot handle, the blizzard in question, um, but that's linked to the environment being just heavily changed because of evil. In the case of Zora's Domain, and what we'll all get to but the other two, it's, it, it changes a little bit with the other two. Um, with Zora's Domain, the pollution theme feels even stronger because this is clean water being dirtied, muddied, and there's certain uh, uh, waterfalls and areas that surround Zora's Domain that are completely just turned from clear blue to, like, this purplish, greenish brown. Like, it's, it's, it's like a disgusting coloration. It looks gross. And... This is what you hear when you see all of it. And this, like, mud, this sludge, keeps falling from the sky. Um, and it's not clear how to stop it. The crown prince, Prince Sidon, who's one of my favorite video game characters, like, ever. Like, he's just the best. Um, he's working hard to, you know, with his kind of power of utilizing water in, like, a a cleansing kind of way. He can almost weaponize water. He can create a shield around a shield of water around someone. He can do all kinds of stuff with water. Um, as Tulin was very agile in the sky and could do things that other Rito couldn't. Um, Sidon is similar in that he can almost use the power of water in this more offensive, strong kind of way. You know, his own father, King Dorofan, is out on his own trying to resolve things, but he's kind of MIA, you know. Um but um, with Sidon, you know, he's trying to work at the problem, but he's not able to, like, he can't leave the area where the most mud is or sludge is coming down. Um, so, like, when you kind of start the area, the quest focused on solving Zora's domain, um, like the, the sludge in Zora's domain, Sidon will tell you, I think, more than once that he can't leave the area that he's at because he, he has to use his powers to stop the, the sludge from being continuous. So, I just... Like, it sounds so stifled. But yeah, that sludge covered Zora's domain for you. Now let's get into something that's maybe not as negative, but it's not positive sounding. It's certainly wondrous, if you ask me. It sounds mysterious. This theme is called the Ancient Zora Waterworks, where you discover a secret uh, aqueduct system underneath the main reservoir, um, which is currently like, sl like sludge water, basically. But you're able to, through various story stuff, you're able to create like a clean water approach. So you get underground, the water here's clean, um, and there's clues about how to get to the sky where the source of the sludge is and I think I wanted to highlight this track just because I really like how it captures this mystery because the lore with the Zora is that they live very long lives but even the Zora didn't know about this like that's a pretty cool thing 
Like, you go here and it feels like a, a little bit, not like a different world, but I love the way that the structures, like the ruined structures, kind of sit in there. Like, it, it feels like it's very worn, but it's been here all along kind of feeling. So, that's the Ancient Zora Waterworks for you folks. Now, let's get into some more, uh, let's get into another boss. We're just gonna go right into it. Why not? So, I'd say this boss is probably the least serious. Probably the most annoying to fight, because Colgara I found was actually fun. But this this boss is called Muktarod. It's just like an octopus that's evil, and it uses a sludge-like shark as like a, a cover. So when you hit the shark with water, then Muktarod comes out. And this is, it's like a chase, you know? It's covering the field with, um, the battlefield with sludge, and you need to clear the sludge to make it easier to approach it. That chorus, that choral singing in the background there. Oh, I love that call back to the prologue music. Um, where basically that choral singing that you hear is in some way just referencing the fact that Ganondorf is back type of thing. Like this great evil has come to Hyrule. And I like how you kind of hear that in the background of this theme. So what we're hearing right now, this is basically after you get rid of the sludge shark. When Muktarok is bouncing around, this is what you're hearing. Let's, let's rewind it back a little bit. This is what you're hearing. So this theme is like really frenzied. I don't know that fun's the right descriptor. It's a bit panicked. It, there's a sense of urgency to it, which I do really like. But the battle itself is quite simple. But it's kind of fun, like the music, not the battle. The music's kind of fun. I just like how like kind of panicked and fast it is because I think the Colgara fight and and this is clear for all the boss like all the bosses that you encounter in this game where they will like the major ones have more than one phase. So once you clear the phase one, um, like the Colgara music I played, that was phase one. Um, I I'm not gonna play the other phases because it's just sped up versions basically in a slightly different key. The same will be the case for this one and all the other succeeding major boss themes I'll talk about, but um. With Muktarok, it's just like, yeah, it's just it's it's just kind of frenzied and all over the place, which seems kind of consistent for this villainous entity that uses the intimidating front of a mud shark, basically. But then once you remove that mask, it's just this kind of bulbous octopus looking thing. Like it's hard to take seriously, but at the same time, the concern of sludge entering clean water is a very valid concern. So Anyways, let's move on to Tension in Goron City. So we enter a bit of like a funny situation here because basically, unlike, unlike the kind of seriousness of a blizzard tormenting bird people and sludge infested water for anthropomorphic fish people, the problem with the Gorons, who are a rock-eating race, is they've basically been brainwashed into eating gloom-infected, marbled rock roast. So they just kind of eat the same stuff all the time, which continues to... that It maintains the brainwashing, you could say. So the pollution that's occurring here is happening in the form of food. 
So it's weirdly kind of playful and a bit unserious. It's not really as, you could say, heartbreaking or disheartening in the way that the sludge-covered Zora's Domain is, or Frozen Rito Village, for that matter. But it's like, clearly something's off. You talk to the people there and everyone's just kind of listless, they're only eating. They're like, oh, this stuff's on sale, you can take it. Like, there's just a, a general feel of laziness and lack of activity from the Gorons when they're usually quite hardy people and they're miners and they, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I enjoy this music actually for how like kind of goofy it is kind of thing. But um, it definitely does contrast, you could say, the more serious tone that comes of Frozen Rito Village and Sludge Covered uh, Zora's Domain. So yeah, that track was called Tension in Goron City. But once you kind of talk to um, Unobo after you get rid of his brainwashing, Link and him head off to Death Mountain. They got some stuff to deal with here, and this is what you hear when they're on their way to the top of Death Mountain. So it's still fairly playful, and I'd say it's not that unsettling. Like it. I like I, I like I, I like percussion and stuff. We're not gonna get into like the I I probably should have included the temple music, but the problem with the temple music because I wanted to do an, an analysis for each of the temple themes. My only problem with that was that the lead up to when the music starts to build and stuff takes quite a while, and to kind of talk and then also try and listen to it, it just would take way too long. And I did have some takes of this where I tried that, and it just it just kind of made this whole process a bit more um, kind of meandering. So we're going to go straight into the boss battle that's associated with the fire temple of this game, because you had the water temple uh, with the Zora. I didn't actually mention that, but that the water temple is where the Mokdorok battle takes place. You had the wind temple where the Kolgara battle takes place. And now we have the battle that occurs in the fire temple against Marbled Goma. She's basically a, a giant insect-like beast that's made of rocks. Ah, there's that coral singing again. Yep, they're back. Singing in your face. Evil's here, guys. I, I like this because it's kind of like just a standard boss music. I enjoy it. And... Marbled Goma is such a callback to, like, old Zelda bosses. Get him in the eye, that's the weak spot. The number of Zelda enemies that have eyes as their weak spot deserves an episode of their own. But it's, again, pretty standard boss music. It's kind of consistent across the board. So while the Kolgara fight, you know, it's happening in the sky, it's an aerial combat type of thing. And by aerial combat, I mean Link just uses his own body to defeat it rather than using, like, weapons and stuff. I think you can use weapons, but I found you didn't really need to for the Kolgara fight. And then with Mokdorok, you're just kind of chasing around an octopus through sludge. So with Marbled Goma, you're running away from it, throwing explosive rocks at you. You have to use Unobo's power to um create like to explode the rocks that encase its legs to weaken its stance and then once you weaken its stance enough times you can climb on top of goma's body and 
hit her hit her eye like a bunch of times to do damage type of thing so the eye is the only weak spot and the entire body is encased in uh like you know rock like substances and things like that but yeah so you hear this music while there's rocks being thrown at you it's kind of it's kind of fun it's like a chase but not and also it happens in an extremely enclosed space Like, you can also tell how this theme is much more percussive compared to the Zora theme and the, um, uh, like, sorry, the Muktarok battle and the Kolgara battle, where that felt a bit more, you could say, there's an openness to it. This does feel enclosed to me, um, and I also just really appreciate that, that element of the music. So, Marvel Goma, she's great. Now, back to Sadness. So, this music is what you hear when you go in the desert. The desert is currently covered in sandstorms after the upheaval occurs, so it's extremely hard to traverse, and the main city, Gerudo City, um, uh, which has the Gerudo race living there, and their race made up entirely of women, um, I remember I was like, I did this thing where I'm like, oh, I remember where all the cities are located in Breath of the Wild, so I'm just going to kind of retrace my steps kind of thing, see how everyone's doing, and then, you know, I go to Rita Village, oh my god, there's snow everywhere, I go to Zora's Domain, why is there mud, um, I go to Goron City, why is everyone just sitting around eating rocks, and then, or really red rocks, and then you go to Gerudo Town, not city, Gerudo Town, you go there, and it's just completely empty. There's no one there. This is what you hear. It's deserted. It's deserted in a desert. And not in, like, the good way. Like, I- it's like, my problem is, like, I think back on, like, Breath of the Wild and, like, how lively the city is, how positive the music is, and that kind of a thing. Like, what is this? Take me home. I don't like it here. I remember going here and it's like, the really cool thing when you walk into shrouded gerudo town and not cool in a sense like oh that's super cool but cool as in just from a thematic sense is there's almost like there's this light blue kind of tint to the area like it's so like the sandstorms are so strong that even like the environment doesn't even look normal um in the sense that Obviously, having snow and darkness kind of covering an entire village parameter type of thing, obviously that doesn't look normal either, but at least the surrounding environment generally looks familiar. With a sandstorm, it just completely obstructs your surroundings. So trying to even imagine what things are supposed to look like, because all the buildings and or rather the tents that are usually set up for shops and stuff are completely dilapidated in Gerudo Town as you hear this music. And the other very unpleasant thing about Shrouded Gerudo Town is it's swarming and surrounded by these monsters called Gibdos, which are zombie-like monsters that are just bones and seem to go after people type of thing. Like, they're just... My... That's also a nightmare come true. Like, if Colgara was real, I'd be scared. But I'd be equally scared if Gibdos were real. I do not like Gibdos. I find them repulsive some of my least favorite like zelda enemies like it's it's right up there there's some like like zelda you know enemies that i'm like you know what even though it's kind of creepy looking or something i can deal with it it can be fun or something or i've gotten used to a type of thing i don't think the gibdos from tears of the kingdom i'll ever get used to so speaking of which um 
Gerudo Town has some extended stuff you have to do. You have to reclaim it from these zombies that keep attacking the village. So you gotta come up with a battle strategy. You talk to Chief Riju, who's amazing, love her. Um, and this music starts playing when you commence the defense operation to reclaim the town for their people. So there are several mushroom-shaped structures sprouting from the sandy earth, and those mushroom-shaped structures dispense Gibdos. Using the power of electricity, which appear to be Gibdos' only true weakness, you have to destroy the columns. You have to prevent the Gibdos that are entering the town from making contact and dealing lots of damage to the chief. Oh, it's just so stressful. Oh, I'm having like flashbacks from when I did this thing in the game and oh. The worst part was finding out that Gibdos can fly. Cause Gibdos are not new Zelda enemies. They've just been reformatted for Tears of the Kingdom. The walking one's okay. They kind of move slowly type of thing. But when they fly, like the flying ones, walking Gibdos are bad enough. Why do they need to fly? Why do they need wings? What, what, that's like the last thing that they need. Like, why? That's all I could think about when I heard this music. It's very stressful, but I like how it very much fits in with like, this feels so Gerudo. Like, if the Gerudo are gonna defend their town, oh boy, this is it. So, while it generally reminds me of stressful things, I do find myself enjoying this music. So I'm like, yeah, it's battle time. Let's take down these zombies because they're the worst. Um, and speaking of the worst, um, we're going to get, we only have two more tracks to go over, folks, and then we're actually going to conclude. So um, the second last track we're going to go over is the boss of the Lightning Temple. So the really cool thing geographically about this game is the Stormwind Arc, the Wind Temple, is located super high up in the sky. It's probably the highest, like, um, height you can reach in this game in terms of how far up into the sky you can go. And then the Water Temple is kind of, it's at the low gravity height. And that's why I played that low gravity music before, because that's kind of what you hear in the lead up to the Water Temple. Um, and then the Fire Temple is actually located in the depths. So it's located basically complete, like underneath where Death Mountain's volcano is type of thing. So that's a really cool aspect because there's just lava and stuff everywhere. So um, it feels very earthen, like, you know, like you're so close to the earth's core kind of feeling and i thought that was a really cool thing with the fire temple but i do i do not like the depths it's so stressful to tra uh, uh, tra travel through and then the lightning temple is this uh it's very step pyramid like and it's just located on the surface so basically the four temples that you go to in this game they kind of encompass all the aspects of like the different levels of playing that you get through in this game it, it challenges you to do all the new things which is going through the sky going through the depths and then staying on the surface so staying on the surface is what you're most used to but like such as defending gerudo town there's new things that came with being on the surface it's not as simple as just kind of adventuring and going around like you did in breath of the wild so um that's what i thought was really cool about the temples and where they're located but the fun thing about the Lightning Temple is, un 
unlike the other three temples, for some reason, the boss of the Lightning Temple decides to fight you before you enter it. So you fight this boss twice because you have to fight it when you get inside the temple. And then you first have this this initial fight with it outside of the temple. Like, yeah, let's just play it. So this is, we're gonna hear that, uh, there's the choral singing. There's. I don't like the choral singing. This is the Queen Gibdo battle music. The boss is a Gibdo, but this Gibdo not only can fly, it looks basically like a giant moth that's mixed with what a Gibdo looks like. Um, I'll also probably have stuff linked in the description for what the enemies look like from this game, so be sure to peruse that. But yeah, I I really I, li I actually like this battle music. I despise the fight. I do not like fighting Queen Gibdo. And basically, I'm playing I'm playing the first fight version for you. So the other, other, the other versions of this theme that you hear are more sped up and more stressful and have much more, much more complicated instrumentation going on. But basically, it's just so stress-inducing because what happens here, and this happens in all the times that you fight Queen Gibdo, is those mushroom-like structures that come out of the sand that dispense the Gibdos. You have to fight those things too while Queen Gibdo's attacking you. It's like the worst thing ever. So. Not only do you have to shoot like lightning and stuff at like or use the power of lightning against because that's what Riju can do. Not only do you have to use the power of lightning against Queen Gibdo, you have to use it against these Gibdos that start coming towards you as well, just the normal ones. Like like I, I like that the game sets you up with the defend Gerudo Town, like that whole segment of the game. I like that it sets you up for the fact that you have to figure out how to fight them as they come closer towards you type of thing. But they they do this thing where during the fight with Queen Gibdo, in the actual boss fight within the temple, they start crawling! And they start crawling really fast! And for anyone who knows about this boss battle, probably the most unpleasant thing ever. Like, oh, I'm having so many flashbacks right now. It's just... Not a good time. Just not a good time. So I really appreciate that, like, uh, <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom gave us two insect-based, uh, um, insect-based, uh, bosses in the forms of, uh, Colgara and Gibdo, Queen Gibdo, and then they gave us, I mean, I don't know if Goma really counts as an insect. It's almost more crab-like, like a rock crab-like type of thing. And then, I mean, Mokdorok's an octopus-like thing. It's just, but not really. It doesn't actually have tentacles. It just has little appendages that resemble arms and legs. Um, but Queen Gibdo is pretty much nightmare fuel for me, even more so than Colgara. Colgara, like, it has this, like, um, it has some resemblance to like it, like it has it has the features of an insect very clearly, and which is still discomforting, but it still feels like fictional enough, you know. And then with Queen Gibdo, there's just this weird, uncanny aspect to it where, like, if it, whether it's its eyes or 
the moth-like appearance or or the fact that like it's maybe not a moth it's i don't know that moth is the right insect but it's almost like a gigantic fly too because the way that its limbs look like that's what that's what it like a the limbs of a fly looks like though that's what it's like appendages and even it's like chelicerae and stuff i'm like you don't need to replicate insects that well i appreciate the design but Oh, the discomfort. So that's what that music reminds me of. And let's conclude with the music for Hyrule Castle in this game. The reason I want to bring this up is this is a contrast to Breath of the Wild's version of Hyrule Castle. So in Breath of the Wild, Hyrule Castle is the last place you're expected to go to. That's where the final fight will take place. In Tears of the Kingdom, I mean... That's where the game begins. So it's kind of a bit of like a contrasting opposite experience. And you can also go to the floating Hyrule Castle before you even get to like end game stuff, you know, before you even um, think about approaching Ganondorf type of thing. Cause you don't actually know where he is since the upheaval began, but I remember going to Hyrule Castle as it's floating up in the sky type of thing, because that's where it is now. Um, a portion of uh, aspects of Hyrule Castle are still on the surface, but then the other main like bulk of the building is actually floating in the sky. And this is what you hear. So while Breath of the Wild's um, Hyrule Castle theme is reflective of that kind of nostalgic take on the franchise's main theme with a march and militaristic elements to its instrumentation. There's almost this kind of champ, like a, like a triumphant feel to it or reflecting on what was once a triumphant place. This however feels much more forlorn, forlorn and like you're just so close to evil. You are so close to where everything can go wrong, you know? with this music, but I remember going to where the final fight takes place in Breath of the Wild, which is the Inner Sanctum, in Tears of the Kingdom, and there's nothing there. It's completely empty. So any traces of Ganondorf within Hyrule Castle, he's actually nowhere to be seen. You have no idea where he is. So when you adventure through Hyrule Castle in this game, you're kind of just seeing the effects that the upheavals had on the building itself, rather than it being an endpoint in the game. Because with Breath of the Wild, its main quest is destroy Ganon. That's really it. Everything else is completely optional. Side quests and main quests alike. But with this, like the fact that you can just kind of go to Hyrule Castle whenever you want, one that feels almost weird because that used to be the endpoint of Breath of the Wild. But then secondly, it's like, there's obviously enemies everywhere. The gloom's very dangerous to go through and traverse through. So it's obviously an unpleasant experience. And this castle can't catch a freaking break. Like it's just constantly in some form of ruination and pollution and destruction type of thing. Like how many times does this one castle need to be destroyed basically? Like it's so mangled at this point. It's probably as dilapidated as the structure can get. There's so much structural failure in general because of just how many times it's been destroyed. It's like the Colosseum, you know? But yeah, this music, I think, really kind of encompasses that feeling of loss and that it's not 
it's not where the final fight will take place. I think that's the most important thing that this track helps to highlight. It's it's just there. It's just existing. And it sucks to be there. It's just such a, like, kind of... It's not so much sad. Like, I know I felt sad when I went to Rito Village seeing and hear, like, seeing in the, seeing it in the state that it was and hearing that music. But then when you come to Hyrule Castle, it's more just, like, I've kind of seen this kind of level of destruction already when it came to Breath of the Wild and Malice and stuff. This feels worse in a lot of ways, because, like, it's not even just that it's covered in um, some kind of substance that, you know, depletes your health and things like that, and that it's covered with enemies. Like, that part hasn't changed. But the major difference is the fact that the structure is just completely removed from the ground. Like, for example, I believe the dining hall is still located on the surface because it's on the lower levels, but then the library is floating up in the sky. So there was there, there used to be a secret passage behind the castle, which required the use of a minecart, I believe, and that would normally take you into the library. But if you go through that door in Hyrule Castle now in Tears of the Kingdom, it actually, it, there's, it's just the ground below you. There's nowhere else to go, but, but down type of thing. So um, I just think it's kind of interesting listening to this theme because the other thing as well is that this was once a whole structure and you were at the beginning of the game adventuring underneath it. Like I wonder how I had how I would have felt if I had done this at the beginning of the game cuz you technically can do this. If like when you start the game, you hear your prologue music, you go through all the beginning stuff, you eventually have to go down to the surface and have to go to Lookout Landing, which again is not far from Hyrule Castle. When you use the tower for the first time, the uh, to fly up into the sky to catapult you upwards. When you do that, you could glide over to Hyrule Castle pretty easily, actually. So I wonder what it would feel like to just hear this music. We'll, we'll play it back again. Like, I just wonder how it would feel to hear this. Because it almost sounds like it is a lead-up to a final fight, but not really. It's just unsettling. It's just uncomfortable. It's just unpleasant. It has that negative connotation to it. Evil's been here. Evil's done its business. It's had its day. It had a lot of fun doing so. Like, that's the feel that this gives rather than I'm gonna I'm gonna fight something big here and it's gonna be bad type of thing. Now, that's about all I have to analyze for the tracks from this game, but overall, as a general conclusion to these tracks is they provide a great sense of urgency to solving the problems of Hyrule, which I really appreciated. That's actually what I most importantly wanted to highlight with the boss battle themes, with even the, you know, Sludge Covered Zora's Domain, Tension in Goron City, us, uh, 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 frozen rito village um the shrouded gerudo town like the essence that all of those themes give off and i know that the tension in goron city is the most like you know unserious one but even then what i appreciate is this sense that you really need to help these people regardless of what they're going through and how serious the situation is the fact that no one's able to do anything about the situation or they've been kind of forced into a scenario where they can't do anything, which is the case for the Gorons and is somewhat the case for the Gerudo because they're, they're actually trapped in an underground shelter, basically. It's kind of this pseudo city underneath the town and that's what people are using to kind of just live and there's some places to sleep and stuff, but it's just a, like a very, you know, 
secondhand replication of what is an amazing town that feels very lively and fresh. So um, I really appreciate the sense of urgency that comes with these themes. And I really appreciate how there's that consistency with the tracks that are associated with the prologue in the sense that when you're fighting a boss, you are reminded with those musical cues, you are reminded that you're facing a great form of evil. This is something that's rooted from mummified Ganondorf. You know that he's back and he's making his presence known through bosses like Kolgara and Mokdorok and a queen gipto and marbled goma that type of thing he's he's created all different forms of evil and he's not stopping type of thing and that evil also just kind of grows when you go to the depths basically because everything's in fact like is covered in gloom and stuff and gloom is extremely harmful to link because there's not actually much defense against it um so like if you have any light source then you're pretty much good in recovering any um, heart containers that have been lost, but the fact that Gloom can just do genuine permanent damage to you in the middle of a fight, or just while you're walking around, because if anyone's heard of Gloom Hands, which I'm not playing the music for because that's too stressful, then, um, well, <laughs> it's just not a good time. Not a good time. So Tears of the Kingdom really establishes that this is how Hyrule has changed, where the stakes are different, they're higher, things are much more dangerous than they were when you were playing through Breath of the Wild. And one thing I noticed about Breath of the Wild score is there's actually a little bit of an emptiness to the music anyway. Um, for some of the more, like, for the towns and village themes, those tend to be a bit more full-sounding, a bit more lively. But overall it actually like the instrumentation does not actually feel as you could say grand like Kolgara for example which is my favorite like major boss battle theme um of these bosses um it feels so like big there's just so much going on with the track there's so many different musical layered elements to it that I can really enjoy it but I if I compare that to like I don't know, facing Windblight Ganon in, in Breath of the Wild. There's just no comparison. That boss felt so empty compared to something like Kolgara. And Kolgara was the first boss that I faced um, when I started playing Tears of the Kingdom. So like when I got to that stage in the game, I decided I'm helping the Rito first. So I, Kolgara was the first one I fought. And it just feels huge. There's just an, a big open feeling to Tears of the Kingdom that somehow was not actually there with Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is certainly an open, freeing game where you just kind of left your own devices, you do your own thing, and you have your fun doing it. But with Tears of the Kingdom, yeah, sure, you can kind of do all the same things, but there's all this other stuff going on, and that's what this music showcases, that there is a world, uh, there are worlds to discover. You know, you have to adventure through the sky, you gotta discover all the stuff that's happening on the surface, and then of course there's the depth which is completely unknown and is a world that requires discovering because you need to you need to learn what's happening down there because the depths again is like its own separate world even though it's connected to the same earth as the Hyrule that you know it feels so different it feels like it belongs not in a different game per se but that just something feels so removed from what you've already experienced in something like Breath of the Wild. It's like you get used to the familiarity of the surface and, you know, the stables and the people and stuff like that. But then you go to the depths and it just feels like you've been removed from that familiarity. You are taken out of that that kind of comfort and you are placed right in discomfort city type of thing, you know? Like, have a nice time, 
not enjoying yourself. That's what the depths feels like. There's danger lurking at every corner. You never know when you'll be attacked by something. Um, the gloom hands can appear spontaneously, so have fun with that. Um, and then, like, yeah, that that kind of stuff. So anyways, this was a very, very long ramble, but I really enjoy the music from Tears of the Kingdom. It's got a wonderful score, and I really look forward to what comes next. This is the lore research that findings on the music from The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll see you next time.